Well, good morning again. What a good little time to have a little Bible study, because that's kind of what I kind of almost have set up for this morning anyways. As I was thinking about, just actually reading this week, I just uh, ended up in a story again. It's a very familiar story to anybody that's been around the Bible at all or been in Sunday school, and it's a story that happens in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 11 through 19, and it says this, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, I don't need to discuss camp too much this week. They did a great job of that. We did have an amazing uh, camp and our fair is this weekend. And so uh, it's going to be a busy time this Sunday. And we're super excited to be able to impact families. And, you know, our main goal is to have families come here and really trust us with their kids. Um, that's our most important goal is because the kids are really ministered to here. And, and um, you know, we've just chosen a long-term vision that, you know, these kids, like they said, they're starting to grow up. We have wranglers now that are not even wranglers anymore. They're, they're headed out and getting close to wanting to find someone to start a new family with. And they've been here since a little kid. And so we've really seen this thing take place. And, you know, last week uh, we were down in the town and, and I shared a little bit between um, uh, songs down in the town. And, and uh, Carlos, who runs Hope of Life in uh, Guatemala, which is a massive ministry. Everybody knows him. He visits with the president and it's just He's worldwide ministry. Um, you know, he just came to me afterwards and he said, you know what, I got two things with you speaking this morning that I felt God speak to my heart about. And he said, one, he says, I'm going to have me a Western town in Guatemala for kids to come to before I die. It's going to be functioning and running. And um, he said, we're in cowboy country down there. And he says, that's what's going to happen. And he said, number two, he says, we focus so much on the statistics. He said that when you get a child, and only 3% chance you get their entire family. He says, but when you get a father, it's like, I forget what the percentage is, but it's above 80% chance that you'll get the family. He says, we focus on that stat so much. He says, what I've forgotten, he says that these little kids that come to Christ will one day be fathers. And the amount of kids that are coming to Christ, and so he started to talk to me about the Bible and just how some of the prophets didn't even see what God had spoken to them come to pass, but God thinks eternally. God thinks in generations. And so, you know what? Well, I'm thankful. I believe we're going to see some of that fruit as, as, uh, as young men and women bring their families back and, and want to serve the Lord because we're getting to that age starting to happen now. It's not going to be a few more, few more years before we see that. But God's a long-term thinker. He's an eternal thinker. And so that was just wonderful to hear that. You know, it was very con confirming for me. And he said it was funny. He said just even last night we were talking about that father statistic, and he said that he felt like the Lord straightened him up in the morning and said, you know what, these kids will be fathers and mothers. And so we know that they're going to have a family that serves Christ, which is awesome. So we started off with Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And just to recap the story, Jesus was passing through, and, 
And there were 10 lepers that stood afar off. And the reason they stood afar off is because if you were a leper, you were not allowed to be in communion with other people. You were set apart and put into your own village and your own community because you were highly infectious. And so what would happen is if you were found actually in community, um, you were punished severely, sometimes even to death, because a leper being in the presence of another person could bring leprosy to that person. And so the law stated, the biblical law stated that they should be separated from the community. And that law wasn't necessarily um, a bad thing. But here we see them calling from afar off and saying, have mercy on me, um, pardon me, uh, the lepers calling on afar off. And, and Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priests. And the word there says that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them came back, um, but nine did not. And Jesus says, where are the other nine, where they're not 10. And so that summarizes the story. But as I look at this particular story, I look at it from a couple different perspectives. And the first way I look at this story as I was thinking about it this week was just from a theological point of view. There is a ton of theology that is wrapped up in this small little story. And from a theological point of view, what is happening here, what is going on here is the change of seasons. We are seeing in Jesus' ministry a life that the godly people are entrenched and steeped in the law and abiding by the law, waiting for the Messiah to come. But in this season, the Messiah has shown up and is about to present, or not about to, he is presenting the message of grace and faith is what he's presenting. That all who call upon the name of the Lord, it's not by law, that there's a righteousness that is coming apart from the law, that all who believe on him by faith would be saved by grace. So a change of season is coming from law to grace. Now the law in this particular time separated those with leprosy, like I just talked about. They were not allowed into society. They were away from their families. It must have been absolutely terrible for them and their families. They catch leprosy. All of a sudden, they are separated from their families. They are away from the families. They are in a different part so that they cannot infect other people. And the law was the one that decided this. Now, looking at the law, it was not bad. Now, it was bad for the people that were stuck in these camps and stuck away from society. But the law wasn't bad. Why? It's because the law protected other people from getting leprosy and and living these terrible lives that lepers lived. So the law was meant to protect society from a non-curable disease. And that's not bad. The law was there to protect society from a non-curable disease. God's law was there to protect society from a non-curable disease. However, Jesus shows up, there's a change of season, and he was there to fulfill the law, and he was there to point out the wrong, for sure, and he did that in many situations, and he was there to not say that the law was wrong, and that lepers should not be in these camps anymore, but the difference was when Jesus showed up, he had a new way, and that way was not just to point out what was wrong, but have the ability to fix what was wrong? And so then rather than staying away from lepers, Jesus went in the midst of them and touched them and often healed them throughout the scripture. Now it wasn't wrong that other people stayed away because they didn't have the power to do so necessarily. But when Jesus showed up, he wasn't saying that that situation was wrong. He was just saying, listen, the, che- the seasons are changing. And now someone who is here that can not only recognize wrong, but has the ability to fix what is wrong. 
And in a bigger theological picture from this statement, what Jesus was saying was that, listen, it is beyond leprosy and it is beyond all this stuff. Those are just symptoms of the real problem. The real problem is sin that causes all this stuff. But now Jesus was there to be able to fix the sin problem. That's what's going on. We see this in this scripture that we're seeing the law at work, but then we're seeing a change of seasons and Jesus showing up, not saying that the law was wrong, but saying that, listen, the law is there to point out what is wrong or what is sick or what is happening, but I am here not to change that, but to fix it, to be able to fix the situation. And in a bigger sense, like I said, there was a sin problem and that way for the sin problem to be fixed was simple. It was him. The answer was Jesus. And so Jesus says, where are the other nine? Now, Jesus had just told all 10 of them to go and show themselves to the priest. And then he asked, where are the other nine? But when Jesus said to show themselves to the priest, Jesus was talking about the law. He was asking them to fulfill the law. Because if a leper by some blessing was healed or the leprosy left, what would happen was they would become clean, but they would have to go show themselves to the priests. And the priests from that point would declare whether or not they're clean or not. And if they deemed them to be clean, what would happen was is they would allow them back into society. So when Jesus was saying, listen, go show yourself to the priests, he was actually informing them to fulfill the law so that they could be allowed back into society. Now, Jesus wanted them to go and fulfill the law, but why he was questioning where the other nine was, he wanted it in the right order. Because there was a priest that had arrived now that was higher than any priest living on the earth that was there to fulfill the law. And it wasn't that he didn't want these nine to fulfill the law. He just wanted to make sure they fulfilled it in the right order. And by that one coming back, bowing at the feet of Jesus, that person understood that Jesus was the highest law on that earth, the highest priest on that earth, and was able to extend mercy that there was truly a change in seasons. So Jesus wanted them to follow the law, but in the right order. Because from the beginning of time, or the beginning of the law, I should say, everything written in the law, everything God gave about the law, everything that was written in the law, pointed to Jesus. And so this is very interesting. I'm just talking from an interesting theological point of view right now. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. So Jesus pointed the lepers to the priest. And so when you first read that, you just think, oh, he's abiding by the law. Go these lepers are being appointed, are told to go to the priest according to the law that Jesus was actually pointing the people to the priest. But I don't believe that's what was taking place. I believe Jesus was sending them to the priest so that the priest would be pointed to Jesus. You hear what I'm saying here? And so they would show up and by their testimony, this man healed me. The priest should acknowledge that all this time, in the law that they have been waiting for the Messiah to change the season that he had arrived. So he was pointing them to the priest, but actually he was trying to point the priest to him. You see that? That is so cool to me because the law always pointed to Jesus. These people show up, they say, who healed me? Jesus. Oh, it must be the one who is fulfilling the law, which is, did not turn out to be the case most of the time. 
the people's response, I should say. So Jesus was not pointing to the priest. He was pointing the priest to him by their testimony, and I think that is so cool. So from a theological aspect, I think that's a pretty neat nugget. Now, when I look at this scripture more from an applicable side, like how can we look at this scripture and how does it benefit us at all? Like that's cool theology and we know that we're, you know, we're already saved by grace and it's neat to know that stuff. But from an applicable viewpoint, how does this apply to us? How does this affect our lives? I look at it in a different view and I often do that with scripture. Theologically, how does this work? And then how does this really work for my life? Because you know what? It's like, I don't want to be a theologian that, Nothing of God's word is applied to my life that I don't see results. So I believe scripture always have, has different views. One view is theologically, how does this happen? And then secondly is many views, but how does this apply to our lives? How does this apply to our lives? And so I'm sure there's more than a couple different viewpoints about application in this sermon, but I picked a couple this morning. And the first one is Luke 17, verse 14. And it says this, So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And so we see that word, words, three words, as they went, they were cleansed. Now you notice that they were not cleansed on the spot. You notice they were not healed on the spot. They actually were healed as they were walking to show themselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them realized they were healed, turned around, and thanked Jesus. So you know it wasn't on the spot. It was he had to turn around and come back. But the interesting piece of scripture there, or the interesting scripture there that's got a nugget in there was, it happened as they went. And so my question is, what if they didn't go? What if they just said, forget it, I'm not going to go, and they decided not to go to the priest? I don't know what would have happened, but looking at the scripture, it's a good possibility that they may never have been healed at all. Why? Because they were not acting in faith. And along with this theological change of season from works to grace, we also begin to operate in faith because by faith, we believe in Jesus and grace comes to us. And so the Bible says, as they went, they were healed, which means they got the command of Christ. And they knew what that command was. Go show yourself to the priest. He might as well have said, I've healed you. Go show yourself to the priest. Because they knew that the only reason they should go to the priest is if they're going to be checked to see if they're healed or not. So he might as well have said, I've healed you. Go show yourself to the priest. So in that moment, he says, go show themselves to the priest. They could have stood there and went, waited for the manifestation, waited for themselves to be healed. But no, they chose to start walking. And as they started to walk, they were healed. And it is an amazing lesson of faith for us as Christians. Because the Bible says many things, but I'm going to give you four scriptures or three scriptures in a row here, and we're going to look at them. So one of them is Romans 1.17, which says this, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews eleven six says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then Hebrews 11, 1 says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So let's look at that. The first scripture says that the just shall live by faith. Now that word live means literally breathe, a breathing being. So when it says that we are to live by faith, if you're breathing here today, you ought to be living by faith. 
Those who are alive on this earth and are not in his presence yet in eternity should be living by faith. If you've been justified by God, you should be living by faith because the very reason that you're walking as a justified believer, the very reason that your hope is in the future and your hope is that you are eternally secured to God is something, is a decision that was made by faith, right? We act and operate by faith in a general sense, right? It's like, well, we know that God is eternal. We know that our eternity is secure. And we talk about heaven and the judgment and all that kind of stuff. And thank God that we're going to belong to him and that we don't get a full judgment, a white throne judgment. And, you know, all our sins are washed away and that we don't have to be accountable for all that. That's us walking by faith. And people say, how do you know that? Well, we know that because the word says it, Right? And because the word says it, all of a sudden we're this new being and nobody can take that away from us. That's what I love about a testimony. You can't change. Somebody can't change your relationship with God, right? It's like somebody telling you you're not wet, but you're in a pool. Too late. You've already had the encounter, right? And so we live in a general sense by that. Why we just, that we walk through life differently than other people? Why? Because we walk by faith, because we know God. We know that we belong to him. We know that we are his. So the Bible says that we are to live by faith. It also says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. That's the only way we can please him. So doubt does not please him. Unbelief, I would assume, is the opposite. You know, he's probably unpleased with unbelief if he's pleased with faith. So it is impossible to please God without faith, and the just shall live by faith. So we should be a living Christians, living by faith, pleasing God with our faith. So then you have to ask, what is faith? You know, I kind of looked at it a little bit in a general sense, but what is faith? Well, the last scripture I looked at defines faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, right? And I kind of looked at that in a general sense. We just believe in God even though we can't see him, right? The faith is, what's your evidence? My faith. Well, I don't see it. doesn't matter. I've already had the encounter, Right? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So we see that in a general sense, like we talked about. But we are not just to live by faith in the general sense about God. We are to live by faith in everything that God tells us. Everything. So when we look to his Bible and we look to his promises, everything in there, the just should be living by faith, and we can't please God without it. So when we talk about or we pray to God like we're so unworthy, that is unpleasing to God. Why? Because it's the opposite of faith. Why? Because faith says that you are now righteous apart from the law. That you have been justified just as if you had never sinned. That you are a new creature in Christ Jesus that can boldly come to the throne room of grace. James 1 says that when we ask for wisdom, he gives it to us liberally without reproach, which means it doesn't matter how you're living your life. If you have faith to ask God for wisdom, he will liberally give it to you. Not if you had a good day, not if you had a good week, not if you fell into the sin that you've been struggling with. No, you go to God simply because you have been made righteous 
through Jesus Christ who died on the cross. So when we're praying like, oh my God, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so beat up about this and I know I shouldn't even be talking to you because of the week that I had, that it looks humble and holy. But it's the opposite of humble and holy. A matter of fact, it is the opposite of faith. The only part of faith that you're operating in is that you're actually talking to God, which is, he's pleased by that, right? So if you're talking to God, you got some faith that he's there. But all the other stuff around it with the promises of God, he's not pleased. Why? Because he told you that you can boldly go there. So when you just kind of crawl your way and don't know if you should be there, it's unbelief. And a matter of fact, it goes so far into James that says, listen, if you come in this way, don't expect to receive anything from God, that you're a double-minded man in all your ways. Do not expect to receive anything from God. It's displeasing to him. doesn't mean he doesn't love you. doesn't mean he's not excited about you just talking to him because he is your father and he is God and you actually have faith just to talk to him. But according to his promise, he's not excited about that because he's already promised you that you have full access to him at any moment that you are an heir and a joint heir to the throne, that there's no other created thing in all the universe that has access like we do to the throne room of grace. And so faith does that. Faith does that. Well, I don't feel like that. That's why faith and feelings are different. That's why the Bible tells us that we should never walk by feelings and not by faith. It actually says the opposite. It says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight, not the physical Senses, all right? So we are to walk that way about the promises of God in our lives. And so how do we do that? We talk and walk it out. Father, without the other stuff, that's faith. It doesn't mean I don't feel unworthy. It means I know I'm not. See the difference? One is faith, one is unbelief. And we're to live by faith and we're to please God by faith. And so faith is the substance of things, hopefully the evidence of things unseen, I go boldly to his throne room, not because I feel worthy. It's because I know I am according to his word and his promises. Well, throughout all the Bible, that is that way. His promises of of victory, his promises of prosperity, his promises of whatever. We live in a fallen world. We have the ups and downs, but that's why we're to live by faith. Is because all these circumstances are coming at us to make us feel like we shouldn't be having these promises of God, but we choose to walk by faith anyways. Is that making sense? So we walk that way and we talk that way about the promises of God in our life, even though everything doesn't come immediately, like the lepers, as they went. We see it in other parts of the Bible. Jesus cursed fig trees, different things. The disciples were amazed days later, right? It doesn't always happen. Faith is immediate, but seeing in our lives is not always immediate. I put that into the hands of God. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. And so what is faith? It's talking and walking out the promises of God simply because we are led by him and not our feelings. So that's the first applicable thing in this particular scripture. We're to walk by faith. When God tells us something, let's walk it out. Let's talk it. Let's talk and walk what he told us. The dreams in your heart, the different things that he speaks to you. And most importantly, the word of God, if it says it, let's talk and walk it. Doesn't mean life's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean your feelings are going to go against that. It means what did God say? He's the one that created the universe. Therefore, we believe him. That is walking by faith. All right. Secondly, in this scripture that I feel can be applicable to life is this. Luke 17, 15 says this. 
And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. So one of the 10 returned. And what I get out of this is simple. Living life without the author of it is meaningless. Living life without the author of life is meaningless. And so many of us do it. We do. How many of you pray a lot more when you're in trouble? When you need something? When something doesn't look right? I know I do. It's like, oh, I'm dialing the phone to God like crazy. Right? But that ought not to be so. We're to pray without ceasing. Right? We're to talk to him constantly. But when we get into trouble, that's the time that we go to him. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go to him. We should go to him when we're in trouble. And he has mercy that is overflowing. And there's new mercies every single morning. But I know in my life and other people's lives, as the troubles get worse, our prayer life rises. Right? Several years back, like it's got to be 10 years or 12 years ago now, when Papa got in that accident there over by your house there. And we didn't really know what was going on. And then when Sherry finally got the phone call, it was from Janice, and she was absolutely hysterical. And Sherry could hardly hear what was going on. Oh, the accident, jaws of life, screaming, da 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 It was just chaos. And she got off the phone, and she went to tell me, and as clear as day, I heard a voice in my heart that said, I was in the shower, she, knocked, she opened the door and started to talk to me, and as clear as day, in the shower, I heard a voice in my heart that said, finish your shower, he's fine. And I just said to Sherry, no hurry, finish the shower. We don't need to rush over there. And so I finished the shower, and it was so calming. It was peaceful. And then we made our way over there, and sure enough, we found out that Pop had been hit, but really it was no big deal. And a matter of fact, he was just more mad that he had spilt his tea and couldn't really finish his, his tea in the car. But everybody else was hysterical. And I'm not saying I wouldn't be in certain situations. But when I thought about this, I heard from the author and it changed everything on how I viewed life. And I thought about it this morning and I thought, how much more would I love that in my life? Right? To be able to hear the author on what he has to say about the situation, whatever we're facing in our life, good or bad. Because living life without the author is meaningless. And there's pitfalls to not spending time with him in life. And number one that I thought about in this situation was, what's the number one pitfall to experience life without the author is that we rarely experience his true love. Because the author, all of what he does is rooted in love. And so in every situation, every situation that we face, good or bad, however he's speaking to us is always rooted in the beginning of love. And so we rarely experience true love when we don't experience the author of life when walking through life. Because we don't have his take on it. We don't. And so we miss it. We miss it. And I know that one of the biggest thing, if not the biggest thing, it is because it's the new commandment in this new season of grace is that we are to understand the commandment of love and know God on how he views things according to love. And think about that in different situations. For instance, just in situations of, of like being mad at someone and unforgiveness. We choose to cut off the author because we want to do it our way. But we never experience true love unless he speaks to us about the situation and don't have the ability to extend his love 
if we don't hear him about the situation. And it's hard because it's the new commandment and it's like, it's not a hard ask of him. It's hard for us because we always want to submit to our flesh rather than the author of life. So we rarely experience his true love. Another thing is a pitfall that when we don't hear God in life is that we don't grow in our sufferings. We don't because we're always panic praying when we're not feeling good. Now, God doesn't send those sufferings. I don't believe that, those trials and temptations, but he knows we live in a fallen world and we grow through our sufferings. Not really because of the sufferings, but because of his wisdom and his word in the middle of that. And so when we're always panic praying, we're not listening to him. We're like, get me out of this. That's the gist of most of our prayers. Stop this. I can't handle this. When he wants to say, yes, you can. And we don't want to talk to certain people and we don't want to do certain things because we're in pain and he's trying to show us that in that pain, his voice has so much growth. And I think sometimes we go around the mountain again and repeat that pain in life because we don't listen in the pain. And again, not necessarily because he sends it, but because he's got to grow us and sometimes we don't hear what, he, what we really need to hear unless we're in that moment. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't grow in our sufferings because God's word is just as powerful in sufferings as it is in more normal day life, as it is in times of high in our life. No matter what is going on, his word is still eternally changing. His life and power and words are not letter, but spirit and life. So what happens is we never have proper conversation with God because we're panic praying. I think sometimes we just need to go, whoa, okay, God, you're the teacher, you're the master. And it goes back to boldly coming to the throne room because we always think we're always in this stuff because we're so bad or we're being punished by him or we're doing everything wrong. No, now we're back to the unbelief again. No, things happen because we live in a fallen world. And that's why James says, ask for wisdom so that we can deal with those situations when we're in them. So it's funny, when he says, when trouble comes, he says, rejoice. Why? Because we get to talk to God about his great wisdom on how to get through what we're facing in life. It's kind of wild, but it's true. And then James goes on to say, he'll make you perfect. He'll make you perfect. Isn't that cool? Here's another pitfall, and I'm getting to the end here. Here's the other pitfall about this situation when we don't hang with the author of life when we do life is that like this leper, we quickly go back to our old ways and miss out on the deeper freedoms of God. Luke 17, 19 says this. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now we have no idea if this man went back to the priest or not. Now to get back into community, Without a big uprising, he would have had to go back to the priest so that he could be put back into community. But in this particular scripture, Jesus goes from show yourself to the priest to allowing this guy to make his choice. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that man might have very likely gone back to the priest and did what Jesus had said to do in the first place. But now he had gone to a deeper level with Jesus where Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Go your way. Your way. And I think when we don't spend time with the author, we're just like, whoa, we're out of that now. We'll go back to our own life. We miss out on the deeper levels and the deeper freedoms of God. 
to be able to walk with him as a father and a son rather than just a robot to do the rest of our lives. Running back to him the next time we're in trouble. And so he says, go your way, your way. Different relationship all of a sudden. Now the relationship has become about relationship. Not just about the dude who who had some godly power who set me free. Now it went to a new freedom that, what? We have a talking, speaking relationship on a new level. And we know it's a new level and we know it's a deeper freedom because he says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now he didn't say your faith has healed you. He said your faith has made you whole, which is the word sozo, which means salvation complete. Body, soul, spirit, financially, a complete wholeness. So he told them, go show yourself to the priests basically saying you're going to be healed. He said, him, you came back and made relationship with me. You're not only going to be healed, you will be whole in every arena of your life. Why? Because you realize, he realized that Jesus was not the ticket to get back into a living a life, but Jesus was the author of life itself. And that he now had access to the author of life itself. Greatest thing I got out of today was, yeah, there's some theological nuggets, but when you go and you spend time with the author of life rather than just living life, you have a whole new perspective, whole new perspective. And you go from these week-to-week moments with, you know, orders of God and life going okay to actually walking out life with Christ, the author of life itself because everything was made for him and through him nothing was made without him including this day that the lord has made isn't that awesome father god i thank you that you are the author of life father i choose this day this morning god not to just serve a master who created the universe but god to choose to be your child to choose to be mentored by you, to choose to be raised up by you, to choose to see life through you, the author of life itself. God, give us this relationship that it's not just about trying to get through life with your blessings and get to the other side. But God, we know that eternity starts today and help us to be your children that know you and not just your blessing. Help us to hear your voice and see things you see and your perspective on life. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, I thank you that you authored this life and that we want to be at your feet during it. In the name of Jesus, amen.